This podcast is for the strange and unusual. Welcome to Crackpot Cocktail Hour. Next tonight, the ad trying to sell soda using themes of policing and race. Tonight, that ad has now been pulled after unleashing outrage across this country, including Martin Luther King Jr.'s own daughter. ABC's David Wright on the apology now. Pepsi's edgy new web ad features reality star Kendall Jenner disarming racial tensions with a sugary beverage, trivializing Black Lives Matter, according to some activists. The daughter of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. tweeted, If only Daddy would have known about the power of Pepsi. But Pepsi has struggled before. Come on, which one is he? Pepsi ultimately pulled this Mountain Dew ad featuring a rambunctious goat in a police lineup with black men. You better not snitch on a player. Today, paparazzi caught up with Kendall Jenner in Paris. Do you have anything to say about the Pepsi video? Do you have any regrets? Pepsi does have regrets, saying it was trying to project a global message of unity, peace, and understanding, adding, clearly, we missed the mark. David Wright, ABC News, New York. Welcome to Crackpot Cocktail Hour. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. I'm sorry, I just took a drink of the cocktail for this hour and uh, did not have words. That's Lacey Ramsey. And that's Alex Brennan. Is it now? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Good, the disguise is working. So uh, I want to introduce you to our cocktail, which will lead us into what we're talking about today. It smells amazing. Thank you. Uh, as I was telling Alex, this cocktail came together about two and a half hours before right now. <laughs> I've been working on it for days. It was just like something was off no matter what I did. And so I had Lee bring me like a bottle of liquor one evening on the way home from work and that didn't work. So I had him bring me a bottle of liquor the next day. And he's like, this is, what are, you, what are we doing here? And I'm like, I need the right flavor for this. <laughs> and he's like, why, are, why do you need all these bottles? I'm like, because I, I was wrong about one. And he's like, yeah, I did get you. I got SoCo and I was trying to mix it in. And he's like, why the fuck would anyone buy this? And I was like, I don't know. I thought maybe it was good. People drink SoCo with shit all the time. I mean, like, it was purchased by other people. I mean, they're still in business. Right. And it does just does not work for this. And so I tried it and was like, oh, no, that tastes like cold medicine. Neat. <laughs> Uh, well, that's what we want to do. I mean, I guess you do kind of have a cold, but I don't want you to. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I am like at the very tail end. So I have my energy back today. I'm only coughing every now and then. I am so sorry if I cough into your ears. But um, yeah, that was fun. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, that was a cold cough. Cold cough? You're not cold calling, you're cold coughing. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to attract the other germs out there. Let them know there's a free host now. There you go. You tur- Turn that light on. That's, you know, that's how it works. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so if you have like a cold and the flu, is that like uber pool for the germs? I have no answers for you. <laughs> I know nothing about microbiology and I'm not going to try. And Jeff found that out very quickly when we went on our little bar crawl. I'll have you know that when we were camping, the zombie conversation came up again and I looked him dead in the eye and I said, Jeff, I cannot have this fight with you again about <laughs> zombies. And our other friends were like, what? And I was like, just seriously, literally anything else. And they were like, Star Wars. And I was like, okay, not that. <laughs> Anything but zombies or Star Wars. We have rules in this group. We've got rules. We have to have boundaries so we can not dissolve into anarchy. And Since our, our listeners don't know who any of these people are, um, Lacey has a friend, Jeff, who we've actually known for years, my husband and I, but have only like recently like established the friendship with. By the way, we're, we're Facebook friends now. Congratulations. Happy Jeff me. Day. I know it's been a good Jeff Day. <laughs> Apparently, he went to school to be a pharmacist for a while, so he actually knows much more about microbiology and infectious diseases than I will ever know. And because I'm someone who's just always curious, I'm like, I know shit, and I'm going to keep proving that I know shit, and I'm going to ask you all of these questions about how could this possibly be. And unfortunately, I think I helped, like, stoke the fires of the zombie argument. I was like, but what is it? Is there, like, is there a thing that could cause this reaction? 
My, my part of the zombie argument is purely emotional. So I'm like, I don't care about the chemical parts of it or that we're all bags of goo, as Jeff likes to put it. <laughs> like, I, I, it doesn't matter to me. I think the narrative is compelling and like what it says to us about our own fears of our like mortality. Yeah. Well, I just remember being at um, the last part of our pub crawl and we were actually uh, at, what was it? Uh, whiskey was where we were last. Westland. Yeah. yeah so this poor woman who could not have been sweeter is <laughs> she was amazing us. she was taking care of us and she comes by and not only are we in a heated debate on whether or not the biology adds up for an infectious zombie-like disease but we're throwing around actual microbiology terminology asking questions and willy-nilly just throwing around the word zombie and she's just like what the fuck <laughs> yeah and then we like closed out the place we had to be gently reminded that people sometimes leave places People have lives. <laughs> yeah, it turns out. I mean, they also close at like eight or nine or something. That's relatively early for a Seattle weekend, but I digress. Uh, so speaking of the cocktail, <laughs> this week is New Coke Float. And it's four parts orange vanilla Coke. So it's one of the newer flavors that's being released. Four parts Haagen-Dazs bourbon vanilla bean truffle ice cream. One part Jim Beam Kentucky bourbon, a dash of bitters, and a garnish with an orange slice. And like I said, this smells delicious. So let's go ahead and uh, have a sip. I'm gonna pretend that you haven't had a sip yet. Yeah, pretend, pretend like this is my first sip. <laughs> so good. Thank you. So a few years ago, we had some leftover uh, like vanilla flavored vodka because you know, we're women. Yeah. <laughs> that stuff just multiplies. I mean, like just like that and like supplies for Cosmos. They just they just show up everywhere. True. And uh, we had some ice cream in the house and I told Heath I wanted to go buy some root beer and we made alcoholic root beer floats with mm. it and it was the best thing. And this kind of reminds me of that, only I actually like this a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. I was originally going to do vanilla ice cream, but I saw the bourbon vanilla bean and I was like, well, I guess my choice has been made for me. And I do think the bitters kind of add like a depth of the herbal flavor of the rest of it that kind of you wouldn't have you wouldn't taste like in the bourbon otherwise mm -hmm. i feel like when it comes to a lot of mixed drinks you can usually have that really sharp alcohol taste and it almost overpowers the actual taste of the alcohol but in this like i'm getting the bourbon flavor i'm getting the feel of it like i'm getting like the vapor part of it but it's not sharp it doesn't sting it's just so nice thank you and this is going to be probably the most dangerous drink you've made for me. <laughs> it, it does have just one shot of liquor in it compared to everything else, which I feel like I've made some pretty potent ones. So, but this one will go down easy. So uh, you named this uh, the new Coke float. I did. And that's because uh, it relates to what I'm about to talk about. All right. Our topic for today is titled Advertising Gone Awry. And as you can probably guess, one of the things we'll be talking about is new Coke, but we're not there yet. I mean, my mom actually, I remember telling me about the whole new Coke fiasco and the conspiracy around it. I believe she told me this around the time of Crystal Pepsi in the 90s. Oh, yeah. A lot of very specific soda campaigns around that time. Yeah, yeah, there really were. Also, that was when they started coming out with those uh, ketchups that were different colors. Oh, man. They, Unnatural. <laughs> dude, they just they always tasted a little bit weird. Like, they were just like a little bit sweeter. I could never bring myself to try. I think I tried them on one thing once and I was like, I can't like physically the disconnect, the perception, the visual is interfering with the taste for me. This sounds like our human perception episode. And it all comes back around. <laughs> I feel like my cousins always had like those special like novelty things. Like they always had like purple and green ketchup at their house and they had crystal Pepsi. And my mom was like, that's fucking stupid. We're just going to get the normal stuff because we know it works. <laughs> <laughs> Bet on what you know. All right. So to launch into this today, I'm going to tell you a couple tales of some interesting marketing promotions that you might not know about and some marketing attempts that totally backfired. We're going to start somewhere successful and familiar as we look over a lifetime of wacky marketing. So picture this. It's 1936 and you're a child, six years old, playing on the streets of Chicago. Like you do. Especially in 1936. Are there like rusty needles on the street that I'm playing with? Definitely, because you're lucky not to be working, six-year-old child. Am I taking rides from strangers everywhere? Uh, not yet, but you might be about to, because listen to this. What is this that you see coming down the very same street you're playing on? It appears to be some kind of sausage vehicle. <laughs> it's the very first Wienermobile. <laughs> 
Oh, I just thought of so many inappropriate jokes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Oscar Mayer Reno Mobile is coasting straight towards you right through the streets of Chicago. This this little child. Yeah. The Wienermobile is barreling down on this child in the streets of Chicago. That's just what's happening, man. That's just what, that's just what we do. The driver hands you a whistle shaped like the Wienermobile. And you've become a... <gasps> it's a weenie whistle! You get your very own Oscar Mayer weenie whistle. I can't think about weenie whistles without thinking about the Santa Claus, because all he wanted for Christmas when he was three years old was the weenie whistle. You remember so many things. <laughs> I just really like the Santa Claus. That's fair. Was that the last good Tim Allen thing? It's not the Well, Toy Story, right? Isn't he still... Yeah, yeah, because he's, he's a Buzz Lightyear. Okay. Um, big Trouble. That's a good one. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's in that one. It has a Rene Russo um, and uh, Ben Foster and a baby Zoe Deschanel. Aww. It has it has everybody. Like, Janine Garofalo's in it. Oh, wow. And, uh, oh, God, I can go on for days on who's in it. Just watch it. It's a silly, stupid movie, and I love it. That sounds very, like, of the time. So, the driver hands you a weenie whistle. You wrap your lips around it, and you've become a loyal Oscar Mayer customer for life. Speaking of weenie whistles, a few years later, a young Paul Ryan will become a Wienermobile driver. <laughs> but you don't know that yet. I know that you're maybe a paragraph into this, and so far this is the best episode we've ever done. <laughs> you just like that we get to see weenie whistle so much. And somehow you you tied in Paul Ryan. <laughs> I was so pumped to find that out. Like him and his widow's peak. <laughs> With his weenie whistles. Handed out weenie whistles to the good girls and boys. At least he did something right in his life. Oh. <laughs> was this the right thing to do? Give, give weenie whistles to children? According to Oscar Mayer, it was. And I think that it was a useful promotion because you knew when I said sausage vehicle, what was happening. That's true. That's very true. That was 1936. It's 19 years later now, 1955. Didn't that feel just like the blink of an eye? It really did. Oh my god, it hit puberty. Since you were only six years old when you saw the Wienermobile, you're hopefully mostly through puberty at 24 years old now. <laughs> hopefully. No comment. Your uh, prefrontal cortex is not done developing totally, but you're close. Still living in Chicago, your friend Bruce Baker, the advertising man, has finally come up with a big idea for wholesome cereal company Quaker Oats. His idea is pretty novel. Sell cereal by using a land giveaway. Of course, this wholesome United States company isn't about to give away wholesome United States land, so naturally, Quaker looks north to Canada. Naturally. Yep, feel, feels about right. Bruce tells you all about the promotion over drinks. In 1954, he tells you, Quaker Oats bought a parcel of land just over 19 acres in Canada's Yukon Territory for how much do you think? How much money? Five dollars. A thousand dollars. 19 acres. Thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. If only. Isn't that? Oh uh, my God. There's a website called Inflation Calculator where you can plug things in now. That would be nine thousand five hundred and twenty dollars in today's dollars, which is still. I can afford that. Yeah, we could just like buy that nineteen acres in Canada and start our commune. I, my the rent in my area is usually about two thousand dollars a month for a studio or one bedroom apartment in downtown Seattle. So, yeah, that's a pretty damn good deal on some land, I'd say. Yeah, no shit. On their lawyer's advice, Quaker transfers ownership to the Klondike Big Inch Land Company. It's a subsidiary company that Quaker established just for that very purpose, to so that another company would be holding the deeds to this land. They then print up 21 million deeds, each for one square inch of land. So this land giveaway. Yeah. You get, like, an inch of land. The big inch. For sure. The fuck? <laughs> what am I gonna do on my inch of land? Whatever the fuck you want, because it's yours, baby. But what if I, like, tried to plant a seed, and then, like, as the tree or whatever I'm growing sprouts, it spreads into other inches? Legitimate questions all. Moving on. In January 1955, 93 different newspapers run the ads. Quote, Get a real deed to one square inch of land in the Yukon Gold Rush territory. And, quote, You'll actually own one square inch of Yukon land. The ads ran on a radio show that was partnering with Quaker called the Sergeant, Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. So, to qualify, Bruce tells you, a person needs to mail a box top from one of a few different Quaker products, shredded wheat, puffed wheat, or puffed rice, along with a form to the Quaker company. In return, you get a 5 by 8 inch deed to a one square inch piece of land. So the deed is bigger than the land. I can't even keep my deed on my land. You try it out, and you're pleased to receive a deed in the mail a few weeks later. 
However, the very next month, the Ohio Securities Division, where Quaker is located, blocks Quaker from trading box tops for land. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can't imagine why. Until the state of Ohio is able to give Quaker a license for the sale of foreign land, as their headquarters are in Ohio. In response, Quaker halts the mail-in deal and instead just puts a deed in every box. So if I just like got a lot of boxes, I could just like get a fuck ton of land. But it wouldn't necessarily all be adjacent, right? That's true, but if you play the odds. (laughs) Like what if I just like buy in bulk? What if I'm just like a really shady like grocery store owner and I'm just like, Yes, we're sold out of Quaker ham, yes. <laughs> Maybe I could open a new Canadian headquarters. <laughs> or I would go find that gold up in them hills. <laughs> oh, my miner sounded a lot like my newspaper guy. I need to work on that. You know, he could have two jobs, Alex. That was a hard economy. <laughs> Those really aren't the best jobs to piggyback on, both <laughs> a newspaper man and a miner. <laughs> He's got diverse interests. He's just like in the river, just like sifting out to see if he can get any nuggets. And he's just like, hmm, I got an idea for this story. Need to mull it over more. Oh no, he's a gossip journalist, I think. <gasps> and so, He talks about the other miners? Mm-hmm. So he's just like panning, like, I just look like any other miner, just going about my business. But he's listening to the hot goss. And he's like, you know, Jacob, he found a pocket. Mm. He, found, he found like a really good thing. Yeah, and so then he tells people where to go, and then they go, or you can pay him and he won't tell people. But and you, you know, get it to yourself. Eli and him, they've been on the outs for a while, and maybe you can like turn them against each other and then get both Jacob's mine and Eli's mine. See, now you're thinking like a miner slash newspaperman. I think I found out who I was in a past life. <laughs> <laughs> Jerome the miner. He has a name now. What's his name? Jerome. Ooh, Jerome. Yeah, it felt right. Yeah. You learn later that none of the deeds were ever registered. So there was never any real transfer of ownership from the Klondike Big Inch Land Company to any of the people who mailed in or got any of the cereal boxes. You don't own that square inch of land. You never did. It makes you sad. My inch of land? I had plans for that land. A decade later, you read in the newspaper, because Jerome the newspaper man supplies you and he always keeps you up to date. We know Jerome's on top of it. He's, he's come very far in his career. Ten years later, 1965, you're 34, and the Canadian government takes ownership of the land back from the Klondike Big, Big Inch Land Company due to unpaid taxes totaling how much? Is it also $1,000? It's $37.20. <laughs> oh, no. What does that uh, change you in today's dollars? I, that's like the one I didn't Google. So I don't know. Multiply that by a few. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's, it's not it's, much. It's still. I it's mean, definitely less than 1000 I mean, it's, it's clearly worth more than, you know, $37 and some odd cents are today. But... but it's still not a lot. It's just like the promotion was done. So the company didn't need to exist or like hold on to the land. And the following year, 1966, the Klondike Big Inch Land Company is dissolved. According to Wikipedia, the land is now owned by Dawson City Golf Course. Interesting. Let's do some golfing. So you could, like, go visit what were once the Klondike Big Inches of land. There's gold in that golf course. All right. You Can you imagine us in the sand pits? Huh? Can you imagine us, like, in the sand pits like our pickaxes? <laughs> There's gold in here! I'm picturing myself in, like, a water trap, like, my, my jeans all rolled up to my hips, like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, I've got those. <laughs> you guys, like, we're trying to hear. This is, like, the seventh hole that you've done. Let me go about my business, eh? You stole my golf ball, just get off the course. <laughs> As you're very healthy, in 1981, you're 50 years old, super spry, Still loving life in Chicago. And you decide it might be nice to travel. See the world while you still can. You've eaten your share of hot dogs and bought your share of one inch of land. And now you think, let's get out. I'm just sustaining myself on just like oatmeal and hot dogs. That's just my diet. How did I make it 50? So you really got to get out and see the world and see what cuisine they have to offer. Yes, I do. So this is how you hear about American Airlines' new promotion, the Air Pass, which is spelled A-A-I-R-P-A-S-S. I don't know how to pronounce that without stuttering, so I'm just going to call it the Air Pass. The Air Pass. It's like you're just like really talking about that. Air Pass. (laughs) The Air Pass, for $250,000, which is over 700 grand in 2019 money, you can buy a lifetime first class flight pass, all you can fly. 
If you have a spare 150 grand lying around, over 400,000 in today's money, you can bring a friend. This offer is a bit too rich for your blood. <laughs> so you're not one of the between 20 and 70 people who buys a pass. Well, I mean, I've been living off of oatmeal and hot dogs. I'm clearly not making the best life decisions, so I probably don't have a lot of money. Yeah, you decide to get a better job to upgrade your diet and not spend your money on an air pass. Well, then, you know, I have a really bad vitamin deficiency. I'm really just like a full apart here. Uh, several years later, Jerome delivers you your daily paper. Jerome. Gives you a bit of mining gossip. And you read that American Airlines regrets the air pass because some passengers have been costing them a million dollars a month. Let me guess, they're just like flying nonstop and they're going everywhere. Yeah. Well, American raises the price to 600000 uh, then to a little over a million before stopping the promotion in 1994. One man, Steve Rothstein, a Chicago investment banker, took over 10,000 flights from this promotion, stating he would sometimes offer his free companion pass to a stranger at the airport and that he once flew to Ontario just for a sandwich. Okay, so if I was that random person at the airport, I honestly don't know how I would react if he was like, hey, you know what, I've like, got like this pass. Like, do, do you just wanna go? Right? Do you just, just, just wanna like go to the other side of the country right now? It seems like a poor decision. You ain't getting me to no secondary location. No way, no how. Of course, I'm saying this like as a very small female and I'm just like, oh, that sounds like trafficking and rape. But right. if I was like a random dude in like the 1980s and it was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we're, we're doing this. Definitely. We're doing this. I also saw a cool thing that Steve Rothstein, uh, the same guy who flew to Ontario for a sandwich, also once flew to uh, Rio de Janeiro with his daughter because she was doing a school project on Brazil. And so he like took her there for the day to get firsthand experience. And I was like, OK, that's beautiful. That's that's actually really cool. Yeah, I thought that was sweet. Um, my, uh, my high school boyfriend actually got his pilot's license in high school. He had money. That's how he could do it. But, um, one of our friends, like, after we broke up, was doing a project on the Red Rock Canyon outside of Las Vegas. And my high school boyfriend actually rented out a single propeller plane for the day so they could fly over Red Rock Canyon so he could take his own video footage of the canyon. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, I mean... He was a shitty boyfriend, but I mean, he was he was a good friend, but shitty boyfriend. And had a like pilot's license. And he had a pilot's cool. license, so I dated a pilot. That's just my humble brag. Uh, since everyone is costing Americans so much money with this promotion, in 2007, they decide to legally go after two of the most prolific users of the flight passes, Steve Rothstein, who we mentioned, and a Texan named, I shit you not, Jacques Vroom, V-R-O-O-M. Oh my god, I love Jacques. Rothstein and Vroom filed lawsuits over wrongful contract termination because they're like, well, these are lifetime passes. But American Airlines had too many and too powerful lawyers. And then American Airlines filed for bankruptcy in 2011. So nobody was getting any money out of them yeah. for a while. Yeah. Uh, fun side story. Uh, I was talking to my mom before this and she told, I was like, I know there's, we have some kind of family story related to American Airlines. And she said when she met my dad in a bar, he was wearing a t-shirt that said, marry me, fly free. His dad, my grandpa, worked for American Airlines and my parents could get standby tickets. And so uh, they only used them once. <laughs> and I was like, mom, why did you only use them once? And she's like, because we couldn't afford to go on vacation, even with free, like free air. Like you still have to pay for food and all that. And I was like, that's fair. That's fair. I actually get free standby passes now through my brother because he works for Southwest. Oh, nice. Yeah. So uh, even though it, I just had a vacation canceled, but you know, it sucks that it was canceled. It's like, at least I didn't spend like $500 on plane tickets. Yeah, that's very fair. That's, that'll make it feel a lot better. Yeah. So it's like, it, it sucks, but. The one time uh, they did use the tickets, they waited for two days in the airport to try to go to Europe like on standby but there is no seats for them to fly and so they ended up going to Acapulco instead <laughs> okay so mine's southwest so it's just like most of the United States sure. not even all of the United States <laughs> just most just of just the it. southwest yeah <laughs> it's not even like the full continental US I don't think but like you can't go to Hawaii you can't go to Alaska well, they still fly. Yeah, but I mean, like, if I want to go back east, like, if I want to see my family, like, in Pennsylvania or something, I can do that. That's nice. But I didn't the, know they were that big. You know, well, one of the things that he said is that, um, you know, so the most he's ever had away is just a few hours, but it entirely depends on how booked the flight is. You need to, like, let them know, like, a few weeks in advance. Um, and then 
you aren't guaranteed a direct flight. And usually you'll have like a flight with a layover or a few. That makes sense. So, I mean, you're flying for free. So, I mean, you can deal with like an hour in Oakland. Yeah, you're going to be kind of fit in wherever they can fit you in. Pretty much. Unless it was United and then they'll just kick someone off and then you just bought you on the nose. <laughs> in 1985, you're 54 years old and you never expected to see this in your lifetime, but Coca-Cola sales are struggling. Pepsi generation! Yep, that's it. Motherfuckers. You observe less people drinking Coke as more people explore diet colas, Pepsi, and non-cola soft drinks like Sprite, things like that. So Coca-Cola reformulates its original beverage and releases new Coke, but they don't do so without conducting extensive taste tests and finding out that consumers prefer the taste of new Coke, not just to original Coke, but to any cola on the market. Hands down, the research comes back, everyone likes this way the hell better. All of their market research is like, hell yes, this. So they put out new Coke. Obviously, I'm giving you a skeptical look right now because we <laughs> all know how this ends. And I have a lot of questions for this research, but please continue. Yeah, uh, I this learning that it was so well researched was like, what? Like, I didn't know that they actually did taste tests. Uh, it's received incredibly poorly, I think. <laughs> yeah, Spoiler. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, people hated New Coke. Uh, in the same conversation with my mom, I learned that she created and circulated a petition to get back to the old Coke. She said, nobody wanted it to taste sweeter like Pepsi. And then she reminded me how much she likes Diet Coke and it digressed from there. But I was like, mom, they did though. Like in taste tests, people did like it way better. So what happened? Is it just the nostalgia factor of the original taste of Coke is what people were missing? So I think that's a big part of it. One of the things that Coke failed to understand was like their place in culture and the idea of like sharing a Coke across generations with like your grandparents or like Marilyn Monroe or whoever you think of when you think of American culture and history. So I think that was like, oh, we had no idea how important that was. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. If like tomorrow uh, Nike started making just Oxford shoes, mm. they could be like the best, most comfortable ones in the world. And actually, sidebar, Nike actually has owned companies that do make other types of shoes, but they just keep the original name because you're not going to be like, I want a Nike dress shoe. Right. You want you want some Jordans. You want something like that. And so they underestimated like what their brand really was to consumers. Yeah. Okay, that makes that makes sense. Uh, another another thing that I read, uh, there's an article on Medium called "Why the Best Coke Ever Failed." They said that people uh, prefer to avoid loss more than they would like a potential gain. So when they were told that they were getting their Coke that they liked replaced with new Coke, it needed to be like a million times better because they were losing the thing that they loved and getting something, maybe even if it was better, now I don't have the thing that I love still. You know, that's an excellent point. I actually listened to, uh, there's a a movie critic that I uh, watch online. He's a comedy one uh, called The Nostalgia Critic. Okay. He is hilarious. But one of the things he talks about is um, he does it like in this very like tongue in cheek way where he plays like this insane character. But he does talk about how sometimes the worst insult for a remake or a sequel or a highly anticipated movie is for it to just be okay. It's not that it's a bad movie because if it was a bad movie, you could almost be like, oh my God, they really shit the bed. But when it's just subpar and it's just like it's kind of there, then you really haven't gained anything. And all you've really done is lose a little bit of more of the thing that you loved. Well put. Thanks, Nostalgia Critic. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Nostalgia Critic. Uh, Consumers were eventually thrilled when Old Coke was reintroduced as Coca-Cola Classic and sales surged beyond those for Pepsi. So Coke, even with their little flub, still came out ahead. Yeah. And as we all know, Coke is doing just fine. So I'm going to talk about another failure of theirs, which is one I'd never heard about. Even the fact that they used Bill Cosby to promote new Coke? <laughs> I think that's one. That just makes sense, honestly. That, that just tracks. That's just, wait, on brand. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> uh, so this one I was alive for, but still pretty young. Uh, in May of 1990, you're 59 years old when Coke debuts their Magic Can promotion. So it's M-A-G-I-C-A-N. Every time I told it to Lee, it was like, Magic Hands? What does that have to do with Coke? And Magic Can. You find out by cracking open what you think is a can of cold Coke on a hot day, only to have a wet 
sort of smelly $10 bill pop out at you. You use part of that to buy an actual Coke. So, again, I don't know a lot about infectious diseases, but I know money is fucking disgusting. And that ink in the Coke cannot be good for you. (laughs) And I have many, many concerns. I don't understand what any of those could be. This is clearly a perfect idea because everyone knows about it. It was so successful. You know what's one of the things that I really miss about old soda bottles? Is I miss being able to twist off the cap of a Coke or Pepsi or whatever you're drinking and you automatically have that prize. It says, I know. you want a jet ski or you get a free Coke. And you're like, hey, I get a free Coke. And they're like, here it is. And instead of like, call this number, mail in this thing. We know it's that you have to go onto the website and it has like a little code that you put in. And like so many codes will get you so many things. But now they don't really even advertise on the bottle what it is you're in for. That's true. Because I do remember like the old Coke commercials with like the Coca-Cola sun and it would be like, this summer we're giving away like a cruise and like five jet skis and you could be a winner too. Those are so cool. I mean, obviously I never won. I did win a free Coke every now and then, which I always really liked. And I think I'd always kind of like piss off the guy at the 7-Eleven because I'd be, I'd be like, here's my pet, here's my Coke. And he'd be like, that'll be, I don't know, 75 cents because it's the fucking 90s. And I'd be like, here's my cap. And he'd be like, fuck you, kid. <laughs> But I miss that instant gratification of knowing immediately that you won. So the idea of a $10 bill popping out at you, I can see that being an attractive thing. The idea of a weird soggy one. See, that's just wrong. (laughs) So according to the promotion, some Coca-Cola cans contain cash from $1 to $500 and gift certificates for trips and products, which pop out of spring-loaded cans upon opening. Among the 200 million cans of Coke that are circulating at the time, the plan is to put 750,000 magic cans in among them. To balance the weight properly, the magic cans are filled with chlorinated water and a sticky and a stinky substance to deter people from trying to drink the chlorine water. So I, I want to explain to you kind of it's like two chambers inside the can. Yeah, but it sounds like you're putting a stink bomb on top of poison. <laughs> All I wanted was a Coke. I am so thirsty. I live in Las Vegas and it is 120 degrees outside. Where's my fucking Coke? Here's your can of stink water and your ten dollars to buy you some more Coke. <laughs> So, like, what if one of these cans explodes? So, wait, so it's water and then just, like, a chemical that smells. Yeah, so, so it's, it's not, like chlorinated it's not, water and then a stinky chemical. Yeah, so it's not like it's carbonated or anything. So, like, there, no. there isn't, like... An, and a, there's no Coke in there. It's really just, like, the liquid in a chamber. And the money's supposed to be in a separate chamber. Okay, because... supposed I, to be. I'm, like, imagining <laughs> just, like, a carbonated can of Coke with a spring-loaded mechanism inside it. And I'm just imagining all the eyeballs that are lost across the country. And, like, the people who choke and die on the springs yeah (laughs) she died with a ten dollar bill down her throat you're just like so thirsty you just like pop it and go to drink and it just like shoots you in the back of the throat and it's (laughs) just like where's sarah (laughs) so like you say a well thought out promotion (laughs) i was also thinking like wait could they just put it in coke but get the sanitary thing is the first thing that I think is a concern about putting it in Coke. But I think the other thing, the actually more pressing concern, is that the money will just dissolve in the Coke, right? That's true. <laughs> like, Coke dissolves battery acid in teeth. I feel like, uh, like, paper money. Yeah, yeah. So. And, like, what if you don't get to that can for a while? Like, what actually happens to that bill as it dissolves in the Coke? Baby, you're liquid money. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm so concerned about the fact that there's, like, a spring-loaded mechanism in something that is disguised as something that you're supposed to ingest. And then there's chlorine in it and a stink bomb on top. So, who ele- approved this? An 11-year-old boy gets sick from drinking the mixture inside the can. Let me guess who reported it. It was Jerome. I'm sure it was. <laughs> <laughs> Coke releases a campaign, and uh, this is featuring um, New Kids on the Block. There's people from New Kids on the Block, I think, in this campaign uh, to, quote, take a good look and see if you have money or if, see if you won a prize before drinking it. So, like, so, so they got a Wahlberg. It's very, like, please don't just, like, yeah, it's one of the Wahlbergs, I'm sure. <laughs> Just put a Wahlberg on it, it'll be fine. And so they're like encouraging people not to do that, but it, it, the whole thing was a mess. Like the water leaked into the fry section like a lot of the time. So it was not, it did not work out the way that it should have. And they discontinued that pretty quickly. <laughs> I just want to know who thought this was a good idea. Like I, I understand the novelty of, oh fuck, free money. I mean, who wouldn't want that? But 
There has to be a better way. Yeah, for real. All right, fast forward. It's 1996. How old am I? You're 55. And McDonald's has created the biggest, most expensive ad campaign they've ever had for... What is it? It's not the Monopoly game. Nope. Not the Arch Deluxe. The it's Mi- the Arch Deluxe! Oh my god, I guess the Arch Deluxe, correct? I wasn't betting on that. I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> no one bets on the Arch Deluxe. So I actually, I remember the Arch Deluxe coming out because the entire ad campaign, I remember the ad campaign specifically. Oh my God, tell me. The whole ad campaign was about like, this is a burger for adults, it's not for kids. And they had like different kinds. There was like the traditional Arch Deluxe, which was like a really nice cheeseburger. And then there was like uh, the crispy chicken deluxe, which is now just the crispy chicken sandwich. And they had a couple of variations of, I think one of them turned into the McTasty at one point, which I do miss that burger. Wow. I didn't know the Arch Deluxe or McTasty existed until like now i have a surprising amount of knowledge when it comes to mcdonald's mcknowledge i'm loving it some mcnuggets in my brain Me i want to share with you toss me a mcnug you got these nugs with those nugs so you remember the ad campaign yes and i can't believe arch deluxe was correct did, did you I, ever have one i actually did i actually really liked it Lee said that he had one and he loved it. He goes, oh, I miss the Arch Deluxe. And I was like, well, fuck me. I guess everyone knows about this yeah, burger. Yeah, I, I actually, I really miss the Arch Deluxe. And actually the uh, crispy chicken deluxe became my favorite sandwich. And they actually temporarily discontinued it at McDonald's for like a few months last year. And I almost lost my shit. Yeah, that's not okay. Because I was like, this is the one thing that survived the deluxe massacre. <laughs> <laughs> he said something about like horseradish mustard or something. That was like the thing he remembered from it. I don't know if I remember that at all. I just remember it being a really good burger. One of the ads included a young actress named Jessica Biel. Jessica Biel was in the Arch Deluxe commercial? She was. You can find it on YouTube. Oh, I'll tell Heath because he loves her. But so despite you and Lee having fond memories of the Arch Deluxe... (laughs) It was kind of largely seen as a betrayal of the customer base for McDonald's, which is children. (laughs) Like, they were trying to pivot to, like, make their product more appealing for adults, but they were, like, doing it really, like, a hard right. Like, no, this is not for kids. You know what? That's that's so funny that you say that, because that's exactly what I remember from the commercial. It's like, this is not a kid's burger. But also in the 90s, there was a thing where I actually had, uh, when I was five years old, I want to say, I think uh, it was either when I was five or six, I had my birthday party at McDonald's. Oh, that was such a thing. It was such a thing. I never did, but I, yeah. Yeah, but like a lot of kids did it. You get like a tour of the McDonald's. Everyone always wanted to play in the play pay. Play. <laughs> tour of the McDonald's. <laughs> they, they did a tour of the McDonald's. They're like, so this is McDonald's. <laughs> So I remember like uh, there were two different McDonald's that I'd gone to where they did like the McDonald's birthday party. I think my friend Brian did one there. At both McDonald's or maybe it was the same one. You actually had to like go downstairs and like on the back side of the building to like go into like another way to get in. And then like they'd walk you through like the kitchen oh. and everything. So you kind of feel like a little exclusive. Yeah. You got to see like behind the scenes. But like now as an adult, I look at McDonald's I'm like, why the fuck would I want to tour this place? Your parents are like, I mean, I guess if you want, you can tour McDonald's. I mean, like the McDonald's play places when we were a kid, those were fucking oh, lit. Oh yeah, that was, those were incredible and like massive. Yeah, I feel like you don't see nearly as many as you used to and the toys are shit now. Yeah, I think it's just we live in a more litigious society. <laughs> the campaign ends up costing McDonald's an estimated $300 million and does not seem super successful so they quickly get rid of the arch deluxe well then that's why the crispy chicken is the only one that survived rest in mcpieces arch deluxe (laughs) fast forward to 2003 you're 62 years old and red lobster comes up with a promotion for endless snow crab legs as you well know snow crab legs are your favorite food of all time well you know i had to move on from hot dogs and arch deluxes you're living the high life now and all that oatmeal you go three times a week to red lobster you have multiple snow crab leg servings each time and you start to reek of crab you are sated good thing i don't have a shellfish allergy it's pretty shellfish of you meanwhile you're eating red lobster out of house and home and they lose 3.3 million dollars in just seven weeks so good job you don't say (laughs) you love them crab legs girl i feel like they should have looked at the business model that american airlines did with like their unlimited flying they're just like you know some people are going to take advantage of this. But in contrast to that, at a time when flights are becoming more affordable than ever, when they created that air pass, snow crab leg prices are at an all-time high during this promotion. Well, that's just double stupid. When executive states, quote, it wasn't the second helping, it was the third that hurt. 
and the fourth. Who gets four helpings? Of, like, you know, you did every time. You know what? I I do love crab. <laughs> I fucking love crab. Love, yeah, it's one of my favorite like yeah seafoods. Yeah. I also love anything you can smother in butter. Every time my dad comes up, uh, he always asks to go somewhere that has good crab, and I'm mm. like, you're in Seattle. Yeah, take your pick. Throw a crab leg and hit another crab place. Yeah. <laughs> Just close your eyes, throw a stone, and then run really fast because you'll get arrested. And then get some crab legs. Four years pass. You haven't eaten crab in a while because you had enough. You're 66 in 2007. You see an ad for LifeLock Identity Protection Services that features the real social security number of the LifeLock CEO. I remember these commercials and I remember thinking, oh, you are so fucked. You wonder if the product really lives up to its claims and if the CEO's social security number is really safe being public. But that's all you hear about it for a while. Later on, it becomes public knowledge that the CEO's identity, Todd Davis's identity, has been stolen over 10 times in one year. You don't say. You feel relieved that you didn't entrust your personal data to LifeLock, (laughs) who are later fined $12 million by the FTC for deceptive advertising. Holy shit. In addition to having his identity stolen fucking 10 times so we've already cleaned out your bank accounts and everything you own five timeshares in mexico (laughs) now give us 12 million dollars yeah so uh good call uh not getting that uh lifelock identity protection (laughs) i just remember being like you're you're stepping out in front of a bunch of hackers and a bunch of people that steal identities and money electronically professionally and you're just calling their bluff publicly several times a day on tv (laughs) yeah and you're surprised yeah well sometimes people don't plan very well well that's what i'm learning from this (laughs) did he also invent the magic gun Right? He was that little boy who drank that chlorinated fluid. But you know that actually explains a lot. (laughs) Two years later, it's 2009, you're 68, walking around your beloved city of Chicago, when you see a billboard that really looks like it says, cover your home in a dick? But it can't possibly say that, right? What? As you walk ever closer, it becomes clear that the billboard for insurance says cover your home in a click. But the round font choice makes it look like dick. Oh my god, it is in lowercase letters! You chuckle to yourself. Sure, someone at insurance will notice soon. And that actually did happen in Chicago. <laughs> most of these things that, like, most of these things really did happen in Chicago, which is why I like So if you really, like, really want to test if your advertising is a good or a bad idea, just go to Chicago. Yeah, it's a it's a good testing ground. You know they have they have great music, great movies are filmed there. Horrific winters, da bears, da bears, and shitty advertising. Later that day, during your monthly phone chat, your grandson, a video game writer, tells you that he's received an unusual gift in the mail from a video game company, Brass Knuckles. You advise him that where you and he live in Illinois, Brass Knuckles are illegal. I very much remember this. You do? I do remember this. Do you remember what company it was? I don't remember what company it was, but I remember it being a big thing because in a lot of territories, brass knuckles are highly illegal. Yeah. So as someone who's really fucking weird, I know a lot about weapon laws in a lot of states. As someone who walked into my apartment today saying, you know, I almost brought a broadsword in today, but luckily my husband took it home for me. That's fair. So. I'm a very small, very weird kind of scary person highly weaponized <laughs> um but in you know nevada where i'm from there are a lot more lenient laws but i think even brass knuckles were difficult to find in nevada but like things like a uh, butterfly knives which you can get in nevada are illegal in most other territories okay uh so it's for the game godfather 2 and it's the <sighs> yes. video game company ea or electronic arts they're christian fucking name. ea <laughs> They shipped game writers Brass Knuckles along with their promotional copies of the game to review. EA did not realize that Brass Knuckles, as Alex knows, are illegal in several states where they had shipped the knuckles, but fucking worse than that, they didn't realize Brass Knuckles are illegal in California where EA is based. Oh, EA. Yeah, California has very strict uh, laws. Like, if you go to buy a certain swords, knives, uh, ballistic weapons uh, online, they will actually tell you, like, in certain territories they won't ship them to, so you need to confirm that you're not in those territories. It makes sense. And if you put it like in your shipping address or in your billing address, sometimes they won't even let you complete the purchase. Well, like they won't let you do it in the shipping address, but sometimes even in the billing address, they won't let you do it because even though you might be like shipping to Nevada where you can get away with 
fucking everything. They still just don't want to like mess with it. Well, yeah, because like, I mean, on the off chance they're doing something illegal through the fe- like the mail. Exactly. I live on the other side of Lake Tahoe in California, but somehow, even though it's where my billing address is, it's getting shipped to Reno. Don't worry, EA is on top of this though. They've got it handled. Are you sure? Because I've played a lot of their games, and they can go fuck themselves. Yeah, no. What they do, they they've really got it together. They contact the game writers, and they just ask them to mail back the brass knuckles. Um, this seems like double illegal to start with. Yeah. Number two. Tell me more about what EA did. That's basically it. They were like, yeah, mail us us back the brass knuckles, guys. And then I think somebody was like, guys, this is double illegal. You can't do this. And so then their final notice was like, just like make sure they're properly disposed of. Just like get rid of them, which I don't think is a thing. (laughs) Melt them down. Like go to your local police station like a video game company mailed me these. What do you do with the brass knuckles at that point? <laughs> you Throw them in the river. <laughs> you just feel intense regret about the whole promotion, I think is what you do as like a, a EA exec. You're having them ship them back to a territory where they're illegal. Isn't that going to get both of you in trouble again? Wouldn't that also like get the people that they gifted them to? Right. Because then they're the ones mailing it. Because if you receive it, that's not your fault. You're, you haven't committed a crime. But if you're given something illegal and you're said, oh... Can you send it back to me? It might be breaking the law to send it back to me, but can you send it back to me? (laughs) That doesn't sound like the best idea. Can you mail it from your state where it's illegal back to our state where we originally mailed it to you from where it's illegal? Is that cool with you? Does that sound good? It's cool with everybody, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sure all of those brass knuckles were properly disposed of. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Definitely. Yeah. Two years later, it's 2011, you're 70 years old, and you get you get out some, but when you're not getting out, you're on Twitter. You know from the news that the Egyptian revolution has been escalating, and over 800 people have been killed. You're scrolling through your feed, you like fashion, so you come across a tweet from fashion designer Kenneth Cole reading, quote, Millions are in uproar in hashtag Cairo. Rumor is they heard our new spring collection is now available online, end quote. No. They later delete the tweet and apologize, quote, Regarding Egypt tweet, we weren't intending to make light of a serious situation. We understand the sensitivity of this historic moment. Dash Casey. I'm sorry, did you just take a shit on your keyboard? Is that what happened? You mean- What? You, so you missed that one, huh? Isn't that nuts? What? So it's okay, because they really understand what they did wrong. Because in September of 2013, as the Syrian civil war is escalating and the death count is rising, at Kenneth Cole for real tweets, quote, Boots Love on- to Gaddafi! <laughs> <laughs> That's our next t-shirt. <laughs> oh god, no. <laughs> Almost. Kenneth Cole tweets, quote, Boots on the ground or not, let's not forget about sandals, pumps, and loafers. Who runs the PR department at Kenneth Cole? Shop Kenneth Cole. <laughs> it sounds like it's Kenneth Cole himself. Someone has to sign off on these things. There is someone somewhere who, well, okay. So I want to say there is someone who oversees everything, but we have a president who tweets from the toilet at 3 a.m. I think anything goes. That's that's, that's true. I still that's want, not of a company. That's of a country. I still want to know what Kafifi is. Kafifi? I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious. So speaking of Twitter, at 76 years old, you still love it. It's 2017, and you notice there's a lot of weird Twitter shit happening, particularly in 2017. The first thing that you notice is the whole Pepsi Kendall Jenner thing. But it can fix everything. You remember? It's where Kendall Jenner is diffusing the United States' political tensions by giving police officers Pepsi. Like, the natural solution. Yeah, it's like the flower in the rifle from the 60s, but instead of that, it's just like, no, dude, just like, just have a Pepsi. Stop being racist. I thought this was put really succinctly. There's an article, um, Eight Marketing Fails You Have to See to Believe by Ben Johnson. Quote, Pepsi acutely realized that 2017 was a big year for political activism. What Pepsi didn't fully grasp is that political activism is predicated on taking direct, authentic stances and that consumers don't love it when marketers use watered-down versions of their politics to prop up a brand. You don't say. Hmm. I did actually see um, a meme that was uh, the tank man from Tenement Square mm-hmm. standing in front of the tank because you know he has the grocery bag with him and it says, in that bag is just filled with Pepsi. Oh, God. The best thing I saw was Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter, Bernice A. King, who tweets out, quote, if only daddy would have known about the power of hashtag Pepsi. (laughs) I love the sass of his family. Bernice A. King, you have my heart. Also in 2017, you read on Twitter that Adidas 
sent customers who participated in the Boston Marathon an email that reads, quote, Congratulations! You survived the Boston Marathon! Um, oh! Tell me why you're cringing, Alex. Oh, cause then everybody survived. Yeah, and this is this is 2017. This is four years after the Boston Marathon bombing. How, how could you think this is okay? Well, how could you? I... <laughs> the, so the Boston Marathon bombing in 2013 killed three people and injured over 250. And they're just like, cool, 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 cool. We're gonna use this. Yeah, three people died at at the race, and then it was a fourth person was the officer who was shot by the brothers. Oh, correct? I didn't know that. Yeah, cause they uh. They killed a, a police officer, uh, I think, within, like, 48 hours of their capture. Shit. Um, side note, I actually have some weird memories of the Boston Marathon bombing. The week of the bombing um, was the week that my mom was coming up because I was getting married that year. And she was coming up for my dress fitting. And we'd also just adopted Malcolm, our dog. It's a lot going on for you personally. So Malcolm we had at our house that weekend and he was just a puppy. So we had like all this video footage of him like running around the apartment. But this is when they were, this was after the bombing, but when they were still hunting for the bombers. So all of our early videos of Malcolm in the background, you just see like CNN, like the hunt for the bombers. It's one of those real things like moment in time. Like where were you? Yeah, yeah. And actually I remember um, being... My mom beat up from Las Vegas uh, with my puppy Malcolm in her lap when they were doing like the standoff with the one who was in the boat. Wow. Yeah. So I will always remember that weekend because there was just a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, for, for Adidas as well. <laughs> Jesus Christ. In 2018, you encounter the Yanny Laurel video. Do you remember that? Yes. It was like the... Do you hear Yanny or do you hear Laurel? Right, very much like the black and blue dress or the white and gold dress. Yes. You only hear Yanny. Just like you only saw the gold and white dress. During your Twitter, so you're just wrong. During your Twitter, you see that the U.S. Air Force has co-opted the Yeti Laurel sound clip moment to tweet. You're right to brace yourself. It's the, this is the right face you're making right now. Oh, this cringe face with all your teeth I, exposed. I don't like it. Quote: The Taliban forces in Faraz City. Hashtag Afghanistan would have much rather heard hashtag Yanny or hashtag Laurel than the deafening hashtag brrr, they got courtesy of her hashtag A10, end quote, along with a link to the Air Force Times story about the airstrikes. I'm sorry, are we making jokes about mass deaths overseas committed by the U.S. military? Mm-hmm, and how much joy we're taking in killing those people and how much they would have loved to have not died. They also add hashtag lol, hashtag YOLO. Uh, if they did, I didn't see it, but uh, they later tweeted, quote, that they recognized the tweet was made in poor taste and have removed it. And I also get that, like, gallows humor is a part of difficult jobs that deal with death and force us to encounter our own mortality, but if you have, like, want to celebrate, like, a mass death that, like, you have caused and tweet that out as a way to get people to come to your organization, I've got real problems. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, uh, as Jake likes to put it, we have, uh, text thread with our group of friends that he just calls the large one with all the heathens and Mitch. And all it is is dark humor. But you also need to, you also realize that there's a context, there's only certain audiences that enjoy different types of dark humor. And there's some dark humor things where I'm like, oh, that's even too much for me. And, and particularly in the context of using something as a promotional item, you have to consider your audience. Yeah, and when you're giving it out to the mass public, it needs to be watered down even more. Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually really disgusted by that. Isn't that horrifying? Like the attitude of like celebration of death, really? Like, yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying that it would be okay if it was just like two Marines saying it to each other, but in the context of two soldiers saying it to each other just to cope with a horrible situation. That's contextual. Yeah. Not knowing it's, you know, not we're celebrating this is just a, ha, 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 this is just how I'm coping. Then, okay, cool, whatever. It's the difference between that or like posting like a selfie of yourself with someone that you've killed like to the whole world. Like, look, isn't this amazing? Yeah, I mean, I know I, I, you and I make fun of ourselves all the time. It's how we live. <laughs> and we're both a little bit broken on the inside because it's how we live. Yeah. But I also know like not to share that with like a random coworker. Good Lord. Yeah, it just like, oh, okay. Like you, my worst thoughts about like the culture of violence that is created in parts of the military, like those are confirmed in that. Yeah, that that's that's disgusting. It's not a good look. Oh, I thought Kenneth Cole was bad. <laughs> yeah, right. Love to Gaddafi! And now we reach the present. Summer of 2019. Just before going to bed, scrolling through your Twitter, you read 
that Coca-Cola is re-releasing new Coke as a limited edition partnership with the Netflix show Stranger Things, along with a line of new mixers later this summer. The more things change, the more they stay the same, you think, drifting off to sleep, dreaming of Oscar Mayer hot dogs washed down with new Coke. Well, you know that they put a Crystal Pepsi like back in stores. I've, tr- I've tried so hard to find Crystal Pepsi. You have no idea. And I couldn't. I went online. It was like, this is this, this the store, this gas station. I drove everywhere and I couldn't find it. I'm, I'm a, I think for you and I, those kind of flops are a novelty thing. But it's not something that we would buy regularly. But thinking of like a... You were saying that with New Coke, it became like, a, you know, what you lo- lost is greater. Yeah. Well, remember a few years ago when the uh, hostess almost went out of business and we almost lost Twinkies. That's fair. We didn't, we always just took Twinkies for granted. I know. And it's just, and uh, it's just like if we were regularly buying Twinkies or Ho-Ho's or whatever, ding-dongs, some snowballs tomorrow, then hostess would not have been in that situation. But the second we realized that that thing was being threatened, the demand for it went through the roof and it actually ended up saving the hostess brand. It's something really interesting about our psychology, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, the joke has always been that even the apocalypse, Twinkies will be around. Twinkies share and cockroaches and we haven't lost the last two yeah of course <laughs> well we didn't lose we didn't lose twinkies either they're still here <laughs> right we almost did i actually had a twinkie about a few weeks ago congratulations i do like a good twinkie so that's it that's advertising gone awry wow so <laughs> not to say that's all the terrible things that have happened in advertising just kind of a lifetime of it yeah yeah because i mean uh i usually when people uh talk about advertising they're usually talking about either a the new coke thing or B, they're talking about uh, like subliminal messaging. Yeah. Um, but I, I really like the journey of just like how people just like constantly make these stupid ass decisions. Yeah. But the one that really surprised me was the new Coke one because I didn't realize how much research went into it. Same. I was like, well, this was just stupid. But it was like, no, this was super thought out and like researched and like they knew what they were. They just didn't understand what Coke really was. I wonder if like the, if they had just called it something other than new Coke. Like, or, like, if they had had both. Like, Lee and I were talking about this. Like, how you have original Coke and you have new Coke. And it's, like, a promotional thing to decide which one you like more. Like, that could be really fun Yeah, surge sales. I, I would very much have enjoyed something like that. Because, I mean, how many types of Coke are there now? Because there's uh, Coca-Cola Classic. There's Cherry Coke. We're drinking... Uh, orange Vanilla. Orange Vanilla. I have a Vanilla Coke in my backpack right now. <laughs> They'll have the new Coke later this year out again. Yeah. There's a... Uh, the th- Lime. There's Diet Coke. There's Lime. There's also... Uh, the uh, they did the lemon diet coke for a while, which was actually did, really good. Yeah. Uh, coke Zero. Mm-hmm. This is just an advertisement for Coke. <laughs> right. New Coke float. Wait, that's yeah. ours. <laughs> but uh, even um, Pepsi's been on that train now because like there's Wild Cherry Pepsi and there's Vanilla Pepsi. Cherry Coke is like my favorite of like, like I told you that uh, Mountain Dew Code Red is definitely my favorite soda, but like the cola sodas, Cherry Coke all day, every day. If oh it's an God. option, I will drink Cherry Coke. I love cherry coke when i was younger i still love cherry coke but i think i'm still very nostalgic for like the very 90s can that was like that bright red yes. with like the big blocky letters like it was the edgy coke to drink yeah it's always a movie theater drink for me because they without fail have it at movie theaters yeah well a few years ago they uh re-released a uh, surge which was just like Mountain Dew on steroids. My story about Surge was that we were not allowed to drink Surge <laughs> unless we went to my grandparents' house where they always had Surge because when we were kids, they like my niece was a teenager and so like they had Surge, like that made sense or whatever. They're like, this is too much caffeine for you at nine. Uh, but we were allowed to drink it there because it was like, well, you can just like go swim in the pool and burn off all that caffeine <laughs> and sugar. So uh, my grandma actually spoiled the poop out of me, and I love her so much. So grandmas are for. Oh, exactly. Um, my as I've told you, my grandfather died when I was three years old. My grandmother's house was next door, and I decided when I was three, I want to take care of grandma now because that's a responsible choice for a three-year-old to make. Sure, sure. So I spent most nights at my grandma's house, and I wonder if it was like her like bribing me to like maintain my company but she would give me like ice cream for breakfast and there was always like whatever soda i wanted in stock she always had a candy dish but she'd always ask me what candies are you feeling like right now Aww. do you like the doves did you want to go back to three musketeers that's so cute oh you're on a milky way kick okay we can get milky ways in there and so there was just like always sugar and 
I remember drinking Surge. I could drink like a whole six pack of Surge like in a day while watching Nickelodeon oh on her God. sofa. Because what were you watching on Nickelodeon? So first of all, I was all about all that. Oh yes, all that for sure. Keenan and Kel. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Strange. I didn't watch Alan Strange. I, I watched Alex like, Mack. I did watch Alex Mack. <laughs> she had a great name. Well, the rest of Olenek. I mean, one great name to another great name. So a uh, funny story about her. Um, Heath, when he was in, I want to say either college or near the end of high school. Either way, he was uh, 17 plus. The guy who played Bogey Lowenstein from 10 Things I Hate About You came to his school to talk. <laughs> his favorite part about it is that apparently the guy who played Bogey Lowenstein like slipped up at one point, like said a swear word. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. And the teacher said, oh, no, they're all of age. They've all like signed their forms. He goes, well, shit. <laughs> He did not have uh, the most uh, favorable things to say about Bianca. Well, I feel like that age, that amount of fame. I, yeah. Look, I was an asshole at that age, and I wasn't even famous. Oh, dude, I was a fucking asshole. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. I, I feel like I also heard from a friend that, like, Kirsten Dunst was, Dunst was a bitch. And I'm like, yeah, she was really depressed for a really long time. That, no, that's right. That's <laughs> I'm not saying depression makes you a bitch. I'm saying it doesn't help. Yeah. Well, actually, I, uh, I recently had a conversation with uh, my mom. And uh, just, like, off the cuff during my conversation, we were... Uh, I was talking about my behaviors when I was younger and I was like, I was just, you know, I was a bad kid and I made a lot of mistakes and I also wasn't medicated and blah, blah, blah. And she actually said to me, um, you know, I've noticed that in our conversations over the last year, whenever you talk about how you were behaving in your adolescence when you were younger, you always credit your behavior and your stability now entirely to being medicated like you without medication is just a bad, unworthy person. And the only way you are a good person is if you have your medication. And that's not true. You were always a good person. You just had these extra anxieties and depressions that you didn't know how to handle because you were young and going through a lot of turmoil and growing as a person. And it just in, it just amplified your downtimes, your what a dark moments. What a grounded, beautiful response, I Mom. I was really happy to hear it. And... Um, my family is actually, they've been very supportive of my uh, mental health care, but uh, it really made me feel seen by my family because my dad's been very supportive. Uh, my mom, she has also been very supportive over the last year, but my dad's just been more vocal about it. So I've never really known what exactly my mom's stance was on the whole thing. Um, but like hearing that, it, it made me feel very seen and very legitimized as a person, uh, regardless of whether or not I'm medicated. I think that's amazing. Uh, diving into mental health minute. <laughs> Lee and I are driving uh, down the road, I don't know, a week ago, and I was talking about a uh, breakdown I'd had recently but, that I won't share here, but Alex knows about, and how I got through it and kind of came out much more quickly than I would in the past. I feel like I used to think that being like much like being happier and less depressed and like understanding my own shit more like would mean that I wouldn't ever get into those dark places but I found that it's a lot less that I never go there or that I'm afraid to or can't but more that like when it happens or when I find myself there I am less afraid of it overtaking me forever I'm more able to go oh this is that thing happening I'm having sad feelings I can call friends I can write about it I can do art about it I can like let this out of me and not just like stew on it and then it usually means that I come out of it much more quickly and he says yeah no I've totally noticed that about you like you are bouncing back so much more quickly like you're just a lot stronger than you used to be like mentally and like you're on your own side and like it's really cool to see and it was like Oh, okay, great. Yeah, Neat. yeah. Th there is something to be said for letting you feel that because you almost like get to a point where... Have you ever uh, been at a party or something when you were younger and you realized that you were just annoying people? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I've been there. But then you're like, I, I can't stop it. Like, this is just... I'm, I'm powerless. Hyper, I'm, I'm hyper tonight and I'm just like that person tonight. That, that was me in middle school for sure. Yeah, and I feel like uh, when you're in a deep depression, you you recognize where you are, you recognize what you're doing, but because it almost like combines on itself and it yeah. makes it worse and worse and worse. You're like, I'm not allowed to feel like this and I feel guilty for feeling this way. Right. And, but, well, for me, it also compacts with the anxiety. Like, what's, what am I doing wrong that I'm here again? How have I yeah. failed to feel this way? Exactly. And it makes it so much worse because not only are you in that place, but you're punishing yourself for being in that place. But there is something to be said just to allow yourself to feel those feelings and then be like, no, you're, you're not a burden to someone by sharing it. 
It's taken fucking years, man. <laughs> it, it's taken me fucking years too. I used to think that I was uh, I was really bothering people because. Um, and if they're if, like, if you are, they're not the right people. Like, if yeah. they're like, I can't handle you having thoughts and feelings. When uh, when my parents got divorced, um, and I, I shouldn't, I should actually probably put like a big asterisk on this. My parents divorced. It sucked, but at the same time. I knew they were going to divorce. They weren't abusive to each other. It's not like a, uh, they were verbally abusive to each other, but it's not like, you know, they were beating the shit out of each other or anything like that. It was just, it was a very unhealthy relationship that had to end. But uh, I had some very toxic friends around that time and I never felt like I could really talk about it. And if I kind of like edged toward it, they would kind of be like, oh, look over here, a shiny object. <laughs> and one time I was uh, venting to one of my friends over the phone and he said to me you know sometimes you have a really bad case the poor little me syndrome shit and to be fair i think we all can sometimes actually be victim to the uh just you know victim mentality yeah we've all been there but it's like i'm trying to reach out to you because i have a lot of turmoil in my life right now and i know that this is getting boring for you to hear because you just want to call up your friend and joke around but i was like 13 or something at the time and i was like oh you're not allowed to talk about your pain. Yeah, message received loud and clear, right? And I didn't talk about it for years. And I thought that, you know, if I was talking to someone about my pain or what was bothering me, then it would make me an undesirable person to be around. And I didn't want to be alone. So I just had to pretend I was okay. And then every now and then I would just fucking explode. <laughs> well, and it's interesting too, because you you hit on a real truth, which is that like when you're going through, when anyone's going through something and you have someone to share it with and they can really see you and sit with you in your pain in that moment and really hear it, then it, it naturally passes more quickly. Like you don't have to live in that place. But if you either have feel like you have to take it all on yourself or if you're trying to be seen by someone who is closing their eyes hard and tight and refuses to see you, is unable to see you, is never going to be able to give you that, I'm so sorry you're going through this kind of feeling, then it's it also extends that like misery you're in because you can't you're not working through it. It's still just kind of bottled up inside you. It's like you're b bouncing this tennis ball off a brick wall and it keeps coming back at you. Well, not only is it coming back at you, it feels like it's coming back at you harder than you threw it. Because your pain is being rejected and multiplied by that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's actually one thing I can say to the credit of my wonderful husband, Heath, is through everything with uh, my mental health struggles, he has been so incredibly supportive. And we were... Uh, I was 22 when we got together and he was 27 at the time, which still isn't exactly the most mature ages. And uh, so we've both had to do a lot of growing, a lot of learning how to communicate with each other. But the fact that even when I was at my darkest, hardest moments, he was still learning ways to try to help. And, like, you know, he didn't, he wasn't afraid to call me on my shit because, you know, I, I can be a bitch. <laughs> Well, and that's a good friend, too, is, like, knowing when to call you on your shit, knowing exactly. when not to. Yeah, and so, like, he knew when to call me on my shit, but when uh, I really needed him, if uh, he would just say, say, okay, what do you need from me? Whatever it is, just let me know what you need from me. And him just being constantly present and just uh, encouraging uh, improvement has been amazing. It feels so good to be seen. It's so good to be seen. I love you. I love you, too. But yeah, I, I, I'm really surprised because uh, there are things in here that I actually uh, didn't know about. I didn't realize how big the weenie whistle was. I just thought it was a weird little bit from a Santa Claus movie. It's not a tiny weenie whistle. It's a massive weenie whistle. <laughs> I actually do, uh, to this day, even as an adult, if I see the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, I get excited. I would lose my shit. I've never seen it in real life. You've never seen it in real life? No. So um, my phone, as you know, has a cracked screen and it is on its deathbed, though I actually recently found out that um, my insurance uh, is not nearly as expensive as I thought it was so I'm gonna get it replaced soon okay. but I pulled out my old iPhone uh, to see if, like maybe I can you know just move my sim card over and I'm looking through the pictures and about two years ago on my iPhone I had taken pictures in downtown Seattle a picture of the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile because even as a fucking adult I'm like it's the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile I'd be so excited yeah I know I've never seen it it's, That's a, really it's cool. a car that shit like a hot dog <laughs> a sausage vehicle <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that just driving it around, whether or not it does anything, is just a brilliant piece of advertising. Everyone gets excited when you see something like that. Yeah, so sometimes you take chances and you're rewarded for it, and sometimes you get a soggy $10 bill and, you know, still 10 bucks. That's, that's all I have. 
Yeah. Well, I actually, I really, really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, there were a lot of things that I didn't know about. We learned more about Jerome. Oh, man. You look like you, uh, you're ready to... I'm so ready. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you for listening to Crackpot Cocktail Hour. Um, you can view our episodes either uh, on our website at crackpotcocktailhour.com or get it on anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're also on social media. We're Crackpot Cocktail Hour on Facebook. We're Crackpot Cocktail Hour on, on Instagram. And we're at Crackpot Hour on Twitter. So, yeah, until next time, stay cracked. We need to find a, a good catchphrase. We it's do. terrible. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Why do we do this? I always put in a fake one. I know. It's tradition.